0: Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Live with the Cork in the Road. I'm Kelly. I'm your wine explorer here in Atlanta, Georgia, and I am chatting with people who are shaping the Southeast wine industry. Hey everyone, welcome back to the next episode of the podcast. Great to have you here. I'm always so excited that people click to listen and so That is something that i really appreciate and i can't tell you that in person so i'm thanking you for choosing to tune in today it means a lot i also have been doing a lot of virtual tastings with my clients all over the country so i know that some of you are listening and i appreciate that and it's been such a beautiful tool during all these crazy times to continue to meet people through wine and learn together and explore together and it's just the best, it's the best. So I am happy to be here today continuing telling stories from the Southeast wine industry and connecting a lot of dots between people that are just doing really cool things. My interview today is with Krishna chappatwala and she is the owner of The Wine Shoe in Castleberry Hill near downtown Atlanta. It's a really beautiful shop that she acquired actually right at the beginning of 2020, but she has a background as a professional chef and it is such a journey. If you are an entrepreneur, if you are a food lover, if you have a wine lover, if you love travel, she has something that will inspire you today. This chat was really fun and we talk a lot about the overlap of all of her experience that have now converged at her wine shop opportunity in Atlanta so please enjoy she has a great story and i can't wait to hear what y'all think make sure that you tag us or post about it on instagram if you enjoy listening we always love to see that i also if you like wine podcasts i have to give a shout out to people who have been shouting out to me which is crazy because they're incredible but all the guys that produce the podcast called the winemakers they all live out in sonoma and they make wine they talk about wine and they give a really cool window into what's going on out there and they have throughout the pandemic and everything i've loved tuning in and they have been shouting us out here in atlanta so cheers to the winemakers cheers to people who love listening to wine podcasts and this is why we love what we do so enjoy today's episode and i'll see you next week well thank you so much for being here hey krishna hi how are you Good. It's good seeing you unmasked because I feel like it's the first time in a while. Because every time I come into the wine shop, we're behind masks, my friend. I know, I know. And it's so nice to
1: be able to like see each other
0: right now virtually, and then hopefully in person. <laughs> oh, absolutely! But seeing your face on Zoom is next best thing. So that's great. And actually, I'm thinking about the last time that we were unmasked, chatting about wine. It was that epic blind tasting night at our friend's house. That was yes. like the day before everything shut down. Right, right. Oh my God.
1: I remember we were talking about it. <laughs> We were
0: talking about traveling to Burgundy while sipping delicious wines and doing a total serious, but fun, blind tasting. But a lot has changed since then. Obviously, you had to cancel your France trip and all of that. But also, in the span of these crazy times, you've also purchased and now run a wine shop. So, you know, I would say you're doing
1: you're doing some pretty big things in a time when it's not always great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of life changes that have happened and good for good. So 2020 wasn't so bad for me. I'm happy to say that Wine Chew in Castleberry Hill downtown Atlanta is mine. I'm I'm the owner of it and I love being there and seeing our guests come in and want to do tastings with us or just come in on a Wednesday or Thursday night for a bottle of wine. And it's fun to be able to help guide people in the direction um, they'd like to go as far as wine.
0: I can't wait to hear about how this all came to be, because I know there's a pretty wild story there. So we will talk about that. But I do want to point out that wine is your current love and passion and career and all the things. But you're also a professional chef and you have two degrees. What were your studies before you moved into the wine space?
1: So in college, I majored in human resources and worked in recruiting and HR for a couple years in the corporate world. um, And then sort of found myself saying, this isn't it. And so during my full-time working days, I went to culinary school in the evenings um, where I was living in Cincinnati and essentially just got my culinary degree. And one of the first things that I did as uh, after getting my degree was one of my friends that had gone to culinary school with me said, hey, will you help me cater my wedding? And I said, okay, I'll help you do this. It was absolutely new for me. It was new for her, obviously, because she had never planned any weddings so we, we came up with the menu, and I did the entire execution of the wedding um, for her. Thankfully, it was only about forty guests, so not a large wedding, and it was in their backyard. It was very casual, and so I sort of after that said, "That was such a great rush, and I love doing every aspect of it: the planning, the menu, the shopping for the ingredients, and cooking the entire meal for this large amount of people." I couldn't wait, wait to do it again. And then something else fall, fell into my lap in terms of I was just talking to somebody about I've just you know started my catering business, and this woman literally came up to me. It was at a networking event that I was there for for HR, for my corporate job. And I said, I you know, cater on the side. I love what I do, uh, you know, in the weekends. And so she said, you know, we're really busy, my husband and I, and we have a young kid, and we would love to be able to have a personal chef come to our home, create meals for us. Is that something that you would do? And I, I kid you not. I had never ever even thought about what a personal chef was before then. <laughs> And so I was like, yes, absolutely. I cooked for them for about nine months. And that nine months, I not only catered more events and parties and you know weddings, but then I also acquired more clients. And so I was cooking four or five days out of the week for clients that wanted meal service, um, essentially have a chef come to their home and cook meals for them. So yeah, I did that for many years. I still do it because I, food is still... I think my passion, wine I've acquired, found myself saying, I always want to be able to pair food and wine. And it, it's not just about, oh, you know, this Like wine is delicious because it is this. It's this wine is delicious because we're having it with this meal and we're having it with this company, you know, that sort of thing. So there's so much more to wine than just drinking, you know? Oh, yeah.
0: But you're also combining these two skill sets that you've picked up in completely different ways. I mean, going to culinary school is one way and traveling for wine is another. And you're bringing that together. As you're talking about those early days of people asking you to cook, and then you're saying, well, I've never done that before, but sure. You had an opportunity in your own like self-consciousness to say no to things you've never done, but look at you say, yes, and then you figure it out. And
1: I always hear entrepreneurship, that's how it has to go. But you took some big yeses. I did. I did. I had to because I felt like I knew that the food and cooking for clients was my calling. And so when unique opportunities fell into my lap, I had to take them to sort of say, is this something that I want to do? Or is this not? And until I did it, I wouldn't know. And so absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And you figure out the
0: details as you go. Now, did you grow up? Cooking in your family, was that something that you did family meals together? Did your family drink wine? Was that part of your everyday upbringing? And no, and
1: surprisingly, not at all. I grew up in a very traditional Indian household where my mom cooked all the food all the time. but It was always Indian food. And watching her, or growing up watching her, I was always like, "Oh my God, I, I can't wait to be an adult." And I could just go to, you know, McDonald's and Burger King and just eat like easy, simple meals. I don't have to, you know, spend hours cooking. It's funny, my family still to this day jokes that, you know, the profession that I've chosen is the one that I just rolled my eyes at as a kid. And so, yeah. <laughs> my sister actually was the one that really cooked with my mom and she learned a lot of her recipes and all that stuff. Um, But yeah, I was staying as clear of the kitchen as possible when I was young. And so the funny thing is like, here I am cooking for a living and loving it. (laughs) And yet you were the one at Burger King while they
0: were cooking. This is kind of amazing. It can go both ways. I hear a lot of people in the wine industry where wine was never a part of their lives or on the other side, you get people that it was baked into their
1: everyday. Were you a picky eater, would you say? I wasn't a picky eater, but I was very bored of the, like, same old, like, Indian food all day, every day kind of thing. And then, like, the only fun, you know, non-Indian things that my mom would make is, like, spaghetti with, like, jarred sauce or enchiladas and you know with the jarred enchilada sauce and like that was our non-indian food night and so it got kind of redundant and boring very quickly i thought to myself like if this is what cooking is all about then i i don't like it and i don't want to do it but then i realized going through culinary school that there's i mean there's endless you know, recipes and opportunities to create fun menus. And it doesn't ever have to get boring.
0: Well, it seems like you're anything but boring with your company, but you also were doing cooking classes. And I'm curious why the addition of the education piece, what's the importance of that to your chef life that you do? In addition to the catering and events,
1: the education part for me is—I feel like it's so important to share um, my knowledge and my, you know, understanding of recipes and how food works with others. There's obviously I love cooking for people, but there's only so much of me, and there's, you know, I can only spread myself so thin. And there's so many people in Atlanta that want to be able to cook good food. And so sharing those recipes and sharing that knowledge and that understanding of how things work in the kitchen, and it's not as complicated as, you know, sometimes people make it, um, that is my biggest driver to teach classes because I want to be able to have people replicate those recipes that they've learned in my cooking classes and feel like, you know, they've achieved something and it doesn't always have to be fast food for dinner. They can come home and make it easy chicken or salmon dinner. With a couple of vegetables, especially now that it's spring and there's just so much, like, you know, good stuff coming out peas and asparagus. So they can make an easy 30, 45 minute meal for their family and enjoy it. You know, think about the fact that it doesn't take a lot. So that's the driver for me for educating others on cooking
0: there's a huge parallel there to educating people about wine and how to select wine, how to purchase wine, where to go. It's not just, I like this, drink this. I like this, eat this. You are able to create now an avenue where you are teaching people how to do it themselves. And not every catering business does that. That's why I thought that was so interesting that you've kept this piece of doing the cooking classes to give people skills along with sharing your own recipes? Because you create your own recipes now.
1: I do. I do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the fun part because essentially, and I always say to everybody, uh, this is just the basis. This is the foundation for you know how you can create a recipe at home. And so that is my my sort of jumping off point. How can I make this fun and unique? Like I just, you know, made something with shrimp and it was a very Spanish inspired. Well, how can you make it Greek or how can you even make it Indian inspired with like different spices and different herbs? And so, yeah, absolutely. I create my own recipes, but I always tell everybody, this is just a starting point. You can go whichever way you want to go. Just use this as a guide. You're giving
0: people in Atlanta this whole new world to explore by coming to your classes, But you also are coming to Atlanta with an extremely worldly perspective on food and wine culture. And you mentioned your time that you spent living in Europe. What brought you overseas? And then ultimately, what brought you back to Atlanta?
1: Uh, My husband's job, as long as we've been married, he's been with this company called Siemens. It's like, I say that they are the GE of Europe. Um, and so we were in Cincinnati where I went to culinary school while I was working full time. Um, and then he had the opportunity to go to Germany. He came home one night. He said, hey, I think I have an offer to go to Germany. And I said, I'm gonna pack my bags tonight. Can we leave tomorrow? <laughs> we're gonna miss out on this. So yeah, so his Siemens has sort of essentially, you know, brought us to different you know parts of the world for his job. Three years after living in Germany, Germany was amazing. I I still miss it, you know, years later. It was time for us to come back because for growth potential for his career, it wasn't going to go anywhere. So the next opportunity arose in Atlanta. And so we have family here, but we had no experience living in Atlanta. And so we said, why not? I mean, we're used to sort of moving and new you know just being new in a city and making it our own and making it our home um so atlanta was a big city and i had done some research and a couple of friends that we had made in germany were americans had said it's a beautiful city it's worth you know living in for at least for a few years and if you don't like it you can leave and now five years later or six years later we're still here so i think we'll be here for a while
0: (laughs) please don't leave that's awesome what a big switch to come back from living abroad. And when you are living in Germany, I know that's where you were kind of based, but you must have traveled around. At that time, as you were exploring new foods and culture, is this when wine started to enter the picture in terms of going to wine Growing regions.
1: Yeah, so we went. Rheingau was one of the first regions that we went to, and I hadn't even heard of Rheingau in terms of a wine region before going there. And then, of course, like one of our most memorable and like the most amazing trips—it's so cliche—but it was to Tuscany. We ended up staying in a little. uh, Now we call them Airbnb. It was just this, you know, bed and breakfast, Italian bed and breakfast, or they call them agriturismos, and like we got breakfast and then we had the whole day to sort of explore the you know Tuscan countryside and then came home um every night we were there for five nights came home to the Nona making us a meal like that it was like a never-ending meal with like wine paired every single course and it was just amazing so like that was another region I had obviously heard a lot about Champagne but I didn't know much about Bordeaux and so we ended up going to Bordeaux and exploring you know wines of the region there. So all of that sort of set me up for understanding and learning more about wine. The good thing with Germany or anywhere in Europe is everything is so close. We ended up in a last minute plan. We said, hey, why don't we just go to Strasbourg, um, which is on the border of France and Germany. And it has a lot of Alsatian wine. And it ended up being a weekend trip to Alsace and just drinking all kinds of fun (laughs) Alsatian wine. (laughs) It's like, oops, took a left turn and now we're in Alsace. I love this. I love this. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, that trip time in Germany definitely opened my eyes to wine. And of course, I'd had wine before then, but didn't know anything about it until having lived in Germany and then started trying different wines and different varietals.
0: Oh, completely combining and changing your perspectives of how food and wine collide in different cultures and in different countries and things like that. So now how do those travels and that time abroad end up in your recipes and your cooking techniques? After having lived in
1: Germany and like sort of being inspired by a lot of the Mediterranean food, I'm always driven to make those kinds of recipes. And so when, you know, my family says, hey, have you tried a new Indian recipe? It's usually, no, I've been trying a lot of like Mediterranean food recipes. Um, And also just based on like Atlanta, we're lucky that we get four seasons in terms of all the vegetables. It's nice to be able to pull those ingredients from each season um, and have it be the driving force for me making my recipes.
0: I would think that that's a really big thing for somebody who is wanting to use local ingredients. Having the diversity here in Atlanta and access to things is a tremendous advantage for exposing people to new cooking techniques but also new recipes and all of that. It's kind of like that though with, with the wines when you're in Europe. There's just so many regions so close by that are so distinct and so iconic and you can learn a lot by having it all access. I mean, access is key for both of these worlds. I totally get that. Is there anything that you don't see about food and wine culture back in the US that you miss?
1: Um, yes. Reflecting back to what I was saying uh, earlier, it's here I feel like we're very much uh, we're going to drink a glass of wine and then we're going to have our meal and then maybe our meal will be paired with a glass of wine. We don't, um, I've noticed, especially with wine too also, people don't want to be able to have food specifically paired with wines, or they're not thinking about food that they're gonna have with wine. It's mostly, I just wanna have a glass of wine, whether I'm gonna have food with it or not is not that big of a deal. That sort of thing where the emphasis of wine is essentially you have your fork, your spoon, your butter knife, your plate of food, Wine is like that other thing that is always on the table and it's always paired really well with, in terms of the meals, whatever's being served. Where here, we don't put that much emphasis on wine being forefront on our tables.
0: Very interesting of the fork, knife, wine glass, that is (laughs) really key. And it's always accentuating the flavors of the meal and people take that into account. Now, me personally, I will often say, what food do I want to eat because I'm drinking a specific wine? But it can go both ways and I get that. But for me, I prioritize. But wine, I'm opening, and then I pick the food.
1: Absolutely, and that that's a great way to do it too. I always say, like, I usually say, if you don't know what you're going to eat, then do you know what kind of wine you are craving or you would like to have tonight? And then that way we can help. I can help you say, okay, well, if this is what you're wanting to drink tonight, then these are the options that you can have for food. So yeah, I, it, it goes both ways.
0: <laughs> yeah. Now I'm thinking that you have a really unique perspective with years of the culinary arts behind you as you're moving into this interest in wine and also European influence from many different cultures and travels. When did you start deciding to more further study wine and even begin blind tasting? I know we're both in in a blind tasting group here in Atlanta now. What made you dive deeper
1: into wine knowledge in particular? Well, because wine is something that uh, I know that we agree on this, especially from the wine tasting group, but wine is something that you can never have enough information on. We're always going to be learning. In 2016, with our friends, we found ourselves saying, my husband and I, I think that this is a chapter that we can open and learn more about wine together. And so in 2016, essentially once a month, either they would or we would host and we would do um, our multi-course meals that we had planned. And then blind taste, all wines. We were very selective each month when we picked the, the get-togethers in terms of which varietal we were going to concentrate on or which country or region we were going to concentrate on. So we started with, of course, like Chardonnay. So then, you know, whoever's hosting was in charge of getting five Chardonnays, five different regions, like, you know, of course, like France and California. But of course, there was like South Africa thrown it South America thrown it, that kind of stuff. And so it was just nice to be able to do that. And then we would take our notes. We would use the Court of Masters sheet and take notes and say, okay, this is what we're getting in our nose. And this is what we see in the glass. And this is what we're getting in our palate. And then like the best part was we would taste all of those blind. And then we try it with some food and then, uh, again, rate them again and say, hey, this one worked really well on its own, but this one, you know, it didn't work really well with food or vice versa, whatever it might be. And it was just fun to be able to learn about different varietals and, you know, just, uh, I guess, geek out on (laughs) wine while still having fun.
0: With the right people, that's the best combination. I'm like, can we do this again? That sounds amazing. Uh, (laughs) Sign me up. Let's do dinner parties with blind flights of Chardonnay. But- The point of that to me is this blind exploration. Why do you enjoy the blinded aspect of tasting? What do you get from that now, especially in your role as a retail wine shop owner? Why do you enjoy blind tasting?
1: Blind tasting sort of is a test, always to my knowledge, you know, and of course, you know, as we've said you can be wrong, we can be wrong, and I have been wrong, but it sort of attests my knowledge on what I've learned in these past four or five years, tasting a lot of wine blind. And it's so easy for me to just go to my cues of, okay, if it smells like, you know, you know, pears and a little bit of vanilla in the oak that comes through and a little bit of apple, green apple, then it must be this, you know, that it's so easy to do that. But Blind tasting also sort of pushes me to say, well, could it be something else because of these reasons? And so I really enjoy blind tasting because it's testing my knowledge and keeping me essentially on my toes on wine.
0: I love that you say that because I honestly think you are often somebody on our blind tasting calls that will say exactly what you just said. Well, wait a minute, could it possibly be this? And you get everybody (laughs) just like, you get everybody thinking in a new direction. And I appreciate that because again, it always is pushing you to think, where does wine grow in the world? What characteristics could be shining from those places? Is it warm or cold there? And then, you know, going going that next step. But I do realize that you are always very intuitive about that. And I'm actually thinking that the last week I got a I, I was I was in German Riesling land and it was Rheingau and I'm like you probably knew that and I didn't know, <laughs> <laughs> but obviously that's a really huge piece of your current role now at the wine shop. Being able to have the vocabulary to help people understand why wine from a certain place tastes the way it does. So this is your 2020 big leap of faith into owning your own wine shop. Walk me through this process, because I actually know very little about how this came to be. Was the space available?
1: Were you even looking? Um, Not, well, yes, end of like 2019, we were looking. So 2016, we started doing these blind tasting dinners, um, and sort of the conversation came up amongst us as friends. Um, that they were going to buy land and move in the direction of becoming vineyard owners and winery owners. And I sort of said to myself, what is the next step for me? Um, is there something that I would want to do, or I'd want to do in terms of food or wine or food and wine, both? Um, and the answer kept coming back to, well, I don't want to have a restaurant because that is, it's a, it's a beast. <laughs> and after talking with our friends and you know with my husband, the one thing that just kept coming back down to me was I see myself having some sort of brick and mortar and a wine shop makes the most sense because then I can, you know, I can still talk about food and I can still offer, you know, food pairings and, you know, small bites in terms of the wine that we're offering. And so, you know, get to do both food and wine from that Um, So that's how the conversation or the ball started rolling. And in mid 2019, late 2019, I started looking and this wine shop that has been in Castleberry Hill for 10 years, um, the owner was planning to retire and hoping to pass this on to somebody else. And they were looking, I think they were looking for buyers for at least a year um, before we sort of came in contact with them. And I, came, I went into the shop, looked at it, and I walked in. Literally said, "This is my spot. Like it's beautiful. The location is perfect. I love its proximity to everything, um, and the way that they they created the shop itself was just very nice." And so I found myself saying, "This is it," um, and that's how essentially it all started. Um, of course, COVID really delayed everything. Um, we actually made an offer. Um, and to move forward on closing and everything in January of 2020. But because of what we now know, <laughs> it took a good seven months before anything was finalized. So,
0: yeah. Wow. Wow. The timing is just unreal. And you pushed through because you knew from stepping in there that that was your next place and that it was yours. That's incredible. How did you pick? your inventory to start filling this beautiful space. I'm guessing you had to start from scratch or maybe you inherited some of the inventory. How did that work?
1: So I did inherit some of the inventory from the previous owner, but I had sort of, I knew going into it that I wanted to cover the entire world because there are some beautiful wine region, a wine growing regions that are not represented. And then there are some that are overrepresented. Um, and so I went into it knowing Certain key varietals that I wanted to have, as well as regions um, that I wanted to feature. And the biggest thing that I say with Wine Chew is the small producers and family growers that aren't going to have a spot at a big box store, uh, those are the ty- types of people that I want to be able to feature in my shop because I'm a small business owner and you know, there's a connection there. And then on the other hand, also feature varietals like Tanat that not a lot of people know about. Pretty much every time somebody says to me, hey, give me something that I may not have, I usually hand them a tanami, given given the circumstance of like our weather warming up. But until now, it's been nice to be able to say, here, try this. It's not a varietal that you're, you're familiar with or you have, you've heard of, but it's delicious and it's thriving in Uruguay. Try it. And it's a nice way to be able to open people's eyes to new types of varietals
0: you definitely have an opportunity to guide people in this direction especially it seems like during covid people are coming to a retail shop because they're going to enjoy wine at home maybe with their takeout or whatever but you are now in a in a really key role to take somebody in a new direction outside their comfort zone which i think sounds like you'd be the perfect person to do this with so what are people buying what are people asking for and then if they're asking for something you already said you kind of Guide people to to not, but when they're asking for something, how often do you suggest something new?
1: It depends. I mean, I also gauge from you know their their question. If they're if they're going to be willing to try something new, then I always take them in the new direction. Um, But if it it seems like they're certain and they want what they want, I lead them in that direction. I don't ever want to disappoint or make somebody annoyed. Um, especially as a retail person and in the service industry, <laughs> so you have to get a feeling for <laughs> what they're going for. I would say one out of about five or six people, um, I will say, hey, I know what this these are the kinds of things that you like to drink. Try this. this is something new that you're gonna enjoy. So I would say out of one out of five or one out of six is how I can do that with. right now, I mean, it is it is light white wine and rose season, you know. <laughs> like crazy town. (laughs) I just got a Pinot Grigio, skin contact Pinot Grigio. So essentially it looks like a rosé, but it's a Pinot Grigio from Umbria. And I I can't keep it long enough. It's really, really good. And people are enjoying it. And I think because of the weather, um, people want something lighter, easy on the palate, something that they can chill briefly for 30, 40 minutes and have on its own, or maybe even like just a salad or something, you know, simple for dinner. So yeah.
0: Oh, I'm very intrigued by this. Skin contact stuff is very exciting. And we seem to get a good selection here in Atlanta. I'm thinking too, I saw how excited you got about talking about this wine. It was almost like success. I secured it or I acquired it, you know? And it makes me realize that in the retail space, building relationships with the distributors here in Atlanta is a huge, huge role in what you can put. On your shelves. So, you were new to the scene. You opened a new wine shop. What's it been like to build relationships with
1: the distributors? I will tell you, um, hopefully, I'm going to knock on wood and hopefully, I don't jinx myself by saying this. I've been fairly lucky. Um, There are a couple of distributors that sort of came with the shop. They had already built the relationship with the previous owner. So, those individuals have been wonderful. Um, And then the new relationships that I've built have been amazing. Everybody's sort of, you know, just come in with, you know, a lot of information and knowledge to share with me. And then of course, wines to try. And so I've been lucky. I will tell you, though, I have found that there's a lot of women in the wine space in terms of distribution. And so it's nice to have another woman on the other side of the counter. So I think they walk into wine shoe and see me. And I see them and it's sort of like a nod to you know what, we're on the same page, <laughs> that kind of thing. And that helps a lot. I love that aspect of it. And so I think that's part of the reason why it hasn't been hard for me.
0: Do you think they're surprised to see a female wine shop owner? I mean, I just I love this, but it's like you think it's not as common? Funny enough, the women are not as surprised the men are. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. So great. So great. So you are building a space for yourself. You're kind of in a unique spot in the Atlanta wine retail space where there's no one really next door to you. You are definitely in a neighborhood that is thriving for people being on foot. And hopefully after COVID, lots of events nearby, near the big stadium downtown. So you have a a captive audience, I would say, for food and wine things. So where do you go from here? How are you going to continue to make wine shoe stand out here in Atlanta?
1: So you sort of pointed to the fact that uh, Castleberry Hill is up and coming. And so it's it's getting so many visitors from out of town, but it's also getting a lot of residents. There's a lot of condos um, that we have in the area um, and then like townhounds and all this fun stuff. Um, and so what I love about it is that we do a lot of private tastings where people schedule a tasting for whether it's Eight people or 10 people, they come in, I walk them through about five wines, different wines from different regions and all of that. So it's nice to be able to do private tastings. I'm looking forward to be able to do walk-in tastings a lot more, where people can just pop in and say, hey, I just want to drink. And I'm able to sort of create a short menu that they can, so essentially a wine flight would be amazing. Um, for people to come in. And so it's not a big, you know, to do an affair that they have to plan for. So that is definitely something that I want to do post COVID. And then especially with the summer getting better. Um, There's also a possibility that I want to be able to do the wine dispensing um, machine that allows people to come in, get a glass of wine, you know, just enjoy at their leisure, not have to, you know, do a tasting.
0: And you have that incredible patio space in the back. So yes, having wine on site that can be enjoyed. And then while you're sipping, I like to call it your thinking wine, whatever that glass is that you're drinking while you're thinking about what to buy can happen right on site at you? This is great. Exactly. This is really wonderful because I think you've created a space with a lot of room to grow. Are you still using your culinary background for the shop? Or is that something that you still live dual lifestyle of catering and food preparation? How are you dividing your passions or are they converging at Wine Chew?
1: So they're converging at Wine Chew in that I always have, if somebody asks me if there's a food pairing that I suggest for the wine that they're buying, I always have suggestions for that. Um, and I love being able to do that. And then on my little note cards with each bottle of wine, um, the there's a description of The wine itself. And then I also offer a food pairing. So when they're essentially going through um, reading about the different wines that we have, they know what food to pair with the one that they're purchasing. So there's that aspect of it. Um, I I am still planning to continue to do do personal chef work for my clients because I'm not ready to give that up. I hope to be able to do some like small bites um, in terms of food paired um, wine tastings. I'm sort of, figuring out the logistics of it, um, because we don't have a kitchen. And so as, as soon as you don't have a kitchen, that makes it a little bit harder. So I think that we may just, I might just resolve to having like things that are pre-prepared, easy to serve and not, don't require a lot of cooking with the wine tastings, um, if, that, if that's something that I consider doing down the, down the road.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And yeah, no kitchen, you got to make it easy on you. You can't be doing something that that's not feasible in the current circumstance. Do not put yourself through that, but finding that lane of what's possible, given what you have and still the recommendations of recipes in the wine retail shop, like having that, I love that. What are some of your favorite food and wine pairings based on your recipes and wines that you carry? Give me like two that you love to share with people.
1: So one of the ones that I really enjoy is I have a salmon recipe that I've created. It's got a little bit of like spice. And so it's not heat, but it's spice in that it's got like coriander and it's got a little bit of cumin lemon zest comes through. Um, And I like to serve that with like some sort of mushroom or some sort of risotto. Recently, I did one with, it was with fennel. And so the fact that like there's a salmon that has a, a good amount of flavor and there's a lot going on and then there's also the risotto that comes with it. What normally we don't think about is people always say salmon and pinot noir but I really enjoy this specific recipe with a like a California Chardonnay just because for like how big it is the not only the recipe but the wine and it works really well in terms of structure for the wine and then the food itself. So that's definitely my one that I really enjoy serving or sharing with others. And uh, we have a really huge market here in Atlanta for guests and clients that love a California Chardonnay. So it works really well in that sense. And then the other one I would definitely say is moving into spring, now that we've got you know nicer weather, I'm definitely going for some sort of like Pinot Grigio, skin contact Pinot Grigio, as we were talking about earlier. And then like an easy like Italian meal, think, you know, like some sort of like pasta with a creamy sauce or uh, pasta carbonara scallops or shrimp would go really well with the carbonara, but then yet still have the pinot grigio because of, you know, the texture and the structure of the pinot grigio has would work really well with the pasta dish.
0: That sounds perfect for this weather. I'm soaking up those days right now Including with the pollen, I get that that's an issue, but I'm trying to eat outside right now while I still can, with no humidity and sunshine in the evening. And that dish and that pairing sounds yeah. like a perfect way to have a happy hour and end the day. So
1: you've got Absolutely. me hungry and thirsty now. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Anytime you want recipe pairings with your wine, I'm happy to provide them.
0: I'm realizing <laughs> that making me hungry and thirsty is basically your job. So you're doing you're doing you're doing it right, which is. Fantastic. So as you're building the inventory and building out the shop and working on creating this identity, how are you finding wines that continue to inspire you, not just for the shop, but for your own personal education? I know obviously through the distributors you're getting things, but how else do you stay inspired by wine?
1: It's nice to be able to follow along and connect with other wine people and just hear about what they're tasting. That is my like biggest door opener in terms of learning about wine. So when I see somebody like yourself or other Atlanta individuals that are in wine, try something that I may not have had or tried, that is sort of my opportunity to try something. Uh, I know that there's some uh, an importer that does Slovenian wines here. And I was not familiar with Slovenian wines until I saw, I, I believe his post or somebody's post. And so I found myself saying, I'm gonna try these wines. And I actually tried a Merlot from Slovenia and it was delicious. And you never think about it, but that is that is something that was new for me in terms of, well, of course, Slovenia is next to Italy, but you don't even think about Merlot in terms of an Italian grape or it's not used very often as 100%. And so the, the fact that this country next door to Italy is producing amazing Merlot and it's coming out of Slovenia is just fascinating to me. So it's nice to be able to see other... Um, wine geeks share what they're trying and drinking. And then I'm sort of on that, you know, Hey, I got to try
0: that too. I'm not (laughs) offended being called a wine geek. That's fine. I will. That's great. And I love our fellow wine geek community here at Atlanta. It's huge. We're so lucky to have those Slovenian wines here, like based here. It's amazing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, I'm so grateful that Monge does what he does and like, he's not only on his, you know, On the importer side, but he also like comes out to wine chew and wine shops like wine chew to talk about new things that he's gonna get or he's gotten, and that's that's very nice.
0: For sure, it's a constant learning community, and you're well a part of that because you can also support other fellow wine professionals to try what's on your shelves if they've never had that or give event space for people. You've been so welcoming in helping people explore wines or study wines or provide blind tasting wines. You've been so great with that and we're lucky to have you. So where? how can people learn more about where you're at? How can they find you? What's the best contact Krishna and Wine
1: Chew. So they can find me on Facebook and Instagram. It's Wine Shoe or Wine Chew Atlanta for respective of each one. Come see the website. If you have any questions, email me or just come hang out with me at Wine Shoe. I want to be able to get wine professionals together at the Wine shoe and have people come taste wine. And just, it doesn't have to be a blind tasting every time. I would love for it to be, but if we all just get together and spring a bottle or even if we just you know get together and i you know we figure out a way to drink some wines together and talk about wine i think that might be a good thing so because you know the wine tasting group has been virtual for me as long as i've been part of it i'm sort of looking forward to being able to see faces in person and, you know, talk to people and wine professionals, especially about what we're talking, you know, what we're drinking and what we've got in store in the future and all that stuff. So, yeah, so I'm hoping to open the space up also to, um, non-wine geeks and wine (laughs) geeks.
0: Oh, that's so exciting. It's so, I'm so thrilled for you. You truly are creating a space for wine education and wine professionals and people interested in wine to just come and learn more. And it's very exciting to have you part of the Atlanta retail scene. Thank you
1: so much. Thank you. This was so much fun. I'm so glad. I look forward to seeing you in the shop and just having a glass of wine without masks, (laughs) of course. (laughs) So soon.
0: I feel it. I'm so looking forward to that. So until then, virtual hug and cheers, but I'll see you soon. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much, Kelly. Thanks for tuning in to the A Cork in the Road podcast, coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia, and interviewing people who are changing the wine world in the Southeast and beyond. You can find more about A Cork in the Road at at A Cork in the Road on Instagram, and make sure to check us out on www.acorkintheroad.com. See you soon, guys. Cheers.